a series of events taking place in New York, where I'm, am, as you're listening to this, New York City, headquarters of the United Nations, better known as the United Nothing. Now, I'll tell you a little bit of personal history about the UN, having lived straight across the street from it. When I really began to seriously follow Jesus, I took the rest of my drugs and threw them out the windows, 17, no, they're 20 stories down, really, onto First Avenue in front of the UN. I literally threw my dope out the window. <laughs> and I had been living in Marley with my girlfriend. That came to an end. Things like that. Uh, that was where I lived. And when I lived in that neighborhood, you'd see certain things. You'd see limousines, expensive limousines, um, Bentley, Rolls Royce, Lincoln Continental, whatever you would see, the Mercedes limos, whatever. And they had the diplomatic seals on them because the diplomats could park any place they wanted. And there was restricted parking areas only for the UN diplomats. At that time, it was the Cold War. The place was alive with FBI and CIA and intelligence agencies located in the American mission to the UN, across the street from the UN. And they were watching the KGB, who used the UN and as, as, as a operations base in New York, essentially. The whole area was filled with spies and filled with diplomatic cars. And what would happen is, it was almost a joke, the people in the neighborhood just took it in stride. That's ah, just the UN. Um, the people from the most impoverished third world countries you can think of were in Manhattan living like kings. <laughs> uh, with these limousines and these five-star hotels and other things that, that many of them had. And they would then go into the United Nations and denounce Western imperialism and denounce you know, Western imperialism and denounce the United States and denounce, you know, Western countries and, and, and make themselves the victims as if they were still colonialized, ignoring the fact that in many cases, when they were colonialized, and I don't agree with colonization, but the standard of living of the people was higher when they were colonized than the standard of living was after they were decolonized and given independence. They didn't talk about the corruption and the, and, and the nepotism and despotic governments that took over post-colonial third world, <clears throat> the post-colonial third world. They didn't talk about that. They just wanted to blame the colonial past for the failure and corruption of the present that they were perpetrating. It was completely, completely absurd. Now, this was the UN. I had no respect for it. It was my next door neighbor. It was right across the street. And I would see people coming from everywhere, Germany, Japan, Latin America, on buses, as buses of tourists to take pictures of the UN that I could see by looking out the window. <coughs> it was crazy. But that was those days long time ago, before the Iron Curtain came down, etc. But the UN has only changed for the worse. It's not gotten any better. The way they mishandled the Rwanda situation, the unbelievable hypocrisy of having nations on the Human Rights Commission 
that were the most human rights violating regimes on earth. On the Disarmament Commission, nations that were involved in terror. I mean, they would have China and they would have Gaddafi's Libya. They would have the countries most perpetrating violence on the Disarmament Commission and they would have the countries <clears throat> that violated human rights the most and women's rights and Christian rights the most would be on the human rights commissions of the UN. It was all hypocrisy, and it still is, only it's gotten worse. It's the United Nothing. It was founded as the successor to the League of Nations. It didn't do a very good job after the Cold War, but it did something of a job. Now it's only there to showcase anti-Western propaganda. And it's very, very parasitic. Parasitic. You see the same thing in, the, in, in their huge facility in Geneva. And also they have one in Vienna that I'm not as familiar with, but I've seen the ones in Geneva and in New York. These people have huge budgets. They live, they're, they're like the EU. They're unelected bureaucrats living a very salubrious lifestyle on, on Lake Geneva or in New York. Um, <clears throat> and they're in the business of, of denouncing the Western establishment as they see it, ignoring the far worse travesties in the area of human rights, economic mismanagement, injustice in their own third world countries. This is the UN. They are also revisionists. They rewrite history to suit their political agenda. I don't have a lot of respect for the UN, and I don't think anybody who looked at it objectively really could. Um, the oil for, oh boy, the, the, the scandals involving the oil and the scandals involving Rwanda, these things were unspeakable, unspeakable. But the hypocrisy that defines that place, you couldn't even begin to quantify it. At the Tiananmen Square, seven and a half thousand people murdered in Tiananmen Square by the Chinese Communist Party. You once said nothing. We've had genocidal regimes in Africa, like Sudan. They did nothing. Nothing. You see it now. How many UN resolutions do you see being passed concerning what Putin is doing to the Ukrainians? You don't. What about what China is doing to the Muslim Uyghurs in uh, Western China? How many UN resolutions do you see? There's a million people in concentration camps. What do you see the UN doing? Nothing. They say nothing. Nothing. They never say anything, except about Israel. Half the UN resolutions, half the Security Council resolutions, half concern Israel. They have no idea that they are, of course, acting in fulfillment to the prophecies of Zechariah chapter 12. 
all the nations of the earth will come against Jerusalem. And this week it is the big issue. Because Ben Gavir, a member of the Israeli government, visited the Temple Mount. The UN established a policy that they would only refer to the Temple Mount by its Arabic name, its Muslim name. Okay. The Jebel Har al Sharif. They would never refer to it by its original Hebrew name, Har Habayat. Har Habayat. The UN will only talk about its Arabic term, Arabic name, in Arabic, its Muslim name. That's it. The archaeology means nothing. The history means nothing. And the real international law, going back to, to San Remo, after World War I, means nothing. Before Israel recaptured East Jerusalem and the West Bank in self-defense when it was attacked in 1967, you had restrictions to the holy sites. Not only aimed against Jews who couldn't pray at the Wailing Wall or anywhere, but against Christians. I have seen in Saudi Arabia, you could be in Jeddah on business. They will not allow you to go to Mecca unless you are a Muslim. I have seen Islamic apartheid. I have seen Islamic apartheid in Malaysia, where there's open discrimination based on race against Chinese and people of Indian descent by the Muslim Malaysians. It's an apartheid regime. Students who are Chinese, who are the best students, and Indians who are the best students, have to go to university in Australia, the States, New Zealand. They cannot get into universities in Malaysia because of quota systems that favors Muslims. It's real apartheid. Despite the fact that apart from oil, the most successful businesses in Malaysia are run by Chinese and Indians, ethnic, non-Muslims. I've seen Islamic apartheid in Saudi Arabia like you wouldn't believe it. I've been to many Muslim countries. I have been Brunei, the sultan living in a palace of gold, a man who gambles $3 million a night sometimes, frequently. $3 million a night. His son has a sports car covered with diamonds. And I saw people living on lagoons filled with raw, unprocessed sewage. And they lived in these huts on stilts on top of raw sewage. It's no problem. No problem. 
women's rights, Christian rights. I don't believe in homosexuality, but you know what happens to homosexuals under Sharia? You know what happens to homosexuals in Iran? They publicly hang them from cranes. What does the United Nations say about it? Nothing. Nothing. Decapitations in Saudi Arabia, public decapitations, flogging of women. What do they say about it? They don't say anything. They don't say anything. But when Israel stands up to Islamic terror, that's the crime of the century. I've lived in the Middle East for years. And I have traveled the Muslim world. I've been to Saudi Arabia, to the Gulf. I've been to Brunei. I've been to Malaysia. I have been to Morocco. I've been to Egypt, Jordan. I've been to most of these countries. Some of them I've been to many times. I know exactly what the Islamic world is. Exactly. You're in Singapore, as soon as you cross the causeway into Malaysia, you feel it. If you are in Israel, in Eilat, as soon as you cross into Jordan, you feel it. There's an oppression. You hear the Muzains in the mosques. I remember listening to them at a quarter to five in the morning, going off with these Muzains. But in Muslim countries, you can't ring a church bell, and most of them. <laughs> Those same countries, you can't ring a church bell. No! The UN says nothing. Nothing about the women's rights, nothing about the human rights, nothing about the Christian rights, nothing, nothing. Nothing about the Chinese Communist Party, nothing. Thus I call it the United Nothing. It's a joke. Apartheid has been the song of the month. It's been going on for some time. Accusing Israel of being an apartheid state. King Abdullah of Jordan has begun saber-rattling. Now, I think it's all political theater, but he's talking the talk. I would remind, I met his father once in Virginia, King Hussein. I met his father. I would remind King Abdullah that he is named after his father's grandfather. King Abdullah the first. And on the Temple Mount in the Al-Aqsa Mosque, you can still see the bullet holes in the pillar. I've seen the bullet holes in the pillar. Where his grandfather's great-grandfather, his father's grandfather, for whom he is named, the man for whom he is named, the direct ancestor for whom he is named, King Abdullah the first 
was shot dead, assassinated, murdered by the Mafti's men, by the people who controlled the Temple Mount. Islamic authorities in Jerusalem. They shot his great-grandfather, for whom he is named dead, and the bullet holes are still in the pillar in the mosque. I've seen them. Why is he taking the side of those who murdered his father's grandfather, for whom he is named? The Islamic authorities who control the Temple Mount. Now they have a different name, but it's the same. The Mufti's men was then. I would also remind him of something called Black September in 1970, when his father, educated as a military officer at Sandhurst in England, about 10 minutes drive from my home, there, slaughtered, slaughtered, 12,000 of Yasser Arafat's Palestinian PLO gunmen in 13 days. He slaughtered 12,000 in 13 days. Some say the numbers were higher. He exterminated them when they tried to depose the Hashemite regime. Why is he placating the people who tried to overthrow the Hashemite kingdom. But he's doing it. He should look to what his father did. He should look to what was done to his grandfather. These people he's siding with are not his friends. They're the enemies of his own family, of his own throne, of his own regime. It's not logical. Jordan's interest, it is a poor country with no oil and no water, almost none. It's in serious trouble environmentally because of the water. It has also had to absorb over a million refugees from Iraq and Syria. Over a million. He desperately needs to face the fact that because of a common fear of Iran, even the Saudis in the Gulf states are making gestures towards peace with Israel. He needs to accept the fact that Israel is the Silicon Valley of the Middle East. There are American high-tech companies from Silicon Valley who do their R&D in Israel and subcontract to Israeli companies. It is the Silicon Valley of the Middle East. And it was American companies in part who invested in desalination technologies. The water engineering that comes out of Bar Alan University and the high-tech engineering coming out of the Technion are world-class in Israel. 
Israel solved its water crisis. It solved its water problem by making desalination cheaper and economically practical. Jordan desperately needs peace with Israel to solve its water problem. Desperately. It has a lot to gain through its peace with Israel. This self-destructive saber-rattling will not hurt Israel very much, but it is certainly to hurt, going to hurt Jordan. But that's the Middle East. Let me move closer to home. My family is a mixture of Israeli Jewish and Irish Catholic. I was brought up Irish Catholic mainly because of my mother. My father was a universalist, but he went along with the Catholicism of my mother nominally, but he, he didn't believe it. He was a universalist. But my mother certainly identified with Roman Catholicism as part of her Irish identity. My mother was Irish Republican. She was what is known in Ireland as a Fenian. In the United States, she was a member of an organization when she was alive called NORAID. NORAID. They were Irish Americans who gave money to Sinn Féin. They indirectly funded the Irish Republican Army. They would protest outside British embassies and things like this during the so-called Troubles. I was brought up with that view, orange and green, Catholic and Protestant, Republican and Unionist, us and them, Oroshe de Vaharwalia, Oroshe de Vaharwalia, and this year, Hakdun Taurig, I was brought up in this republicanism by my mother. My father realized it was wrong. He realized the IRA of today, the provisional IRA as they were, were not the IRA of, of Michael Collins. Collins was a soldier. The provisional IRA are terrorists and gangsters. That was my father's view. My mother was just very naive. Don't confuse me with the facts. I had this Fenianism, this brand of republicanism drummed into me as a kid. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe in the ideal of a united Ireland. But I also understand the justifiable fear of Protestants and evangelicals in the North of the Roman Catholic Church. Now that the Roman Catholic Church has rapidly lost its influence and control and is losing its political control from Maynooth in Ireland because of the pedophilia scandals, I see a hope. The Catholic Church is losing its grip. But I also had a low view of the Orange Orders, the Boulder Men, 
on the 12th of July, pounding on the drum. It was just bigotry and hatred. And what troubled me is both of these communities were taken over by these extremists who were perpetrating this hatred and violence in the name of the Christian faith. Now look, speaking for myself, I have no objection to Protestant people living in Ireland as Irish citizens. And I have no problem with them remaining British dual nationals. The founders of Irish Republicanism, originally known as the Home Rule Movement, were uniformly Protestant. Charles Parnell was Protestant. Isaac Both was Protestant. Nepertandi was Protestant. Wolf Tone was Protestant. Jonathan Swift, the clergyman who wrote Gulliver's Travels, was Protestant. The Irish patriots, those who moved for an independent Ireland, were all Protestant, not Catholic. The Catholic thing came later with Daniel O'Connor, and it was for propaganda reasons as much as anything else. The Protestants of Northern Ireland have to face the fact that Irish Republicanism and the move for Irish independence was a Protestant movement originally, not a Catholic one. They were benevolent Protestants who wanted to help the Catholics, but they were not Catholic, theologically or otherwise. No, it is a very convoluted and mixed up history in Ireland. Now, let's look at this a bit broader. I was brought up in this. I've always been pro-Irish. Always. I've never liked the idea that Ireland was divided into two countries, although I understand why it had to be at the time, because it was the best deal that could have been gotten. But now that the demographic is changing in Northern Ireland and there is more non-Protestants, and there are Protestants, eventually there's going to be some kind of move to reunite Ireland based on a democratic majority of the people in the six northern counties wanting to be Irish, not British. Peacefully. Now, Michael Collins envisioned that that eventually there would be a peaceful reunification of Ireland without war and violence. Thanks to the terrorists of both the UVF and the UDA on the Protestant side, so-called unionists, and thanks to the provisional IRA and Sinn Féin on the Green side, what should have been a progressive, peaceful reunification was marred by war, and not just war, terror. That is not aiming at military targets, but aiming at civilian targets, even innocent people being killed for no reason other than what church they went to, and murdered in the name of Jesus Christ, in effect. And there was enough guilt to go around in both communities. 
there was indeed discrimination against the Catholics in the North. Indeed. But the working class Protestants didn't have it much better. It was similar to the situation with the poor Afrikaans and the blacks in South Africa or the poor whites and the blacks in the American South under Jim Crow. It was like that. <clears throat> it was just an engineered hatred between two communities, neither one of which was particularly well off and both of which were manipulated politically to the economic advantage of others. But I digress. Ireland. Now, I would not identify with the Irish republicanism of Sinn Féin or of, of, of the IRA, obviously, the provisional IRA. I would have had more sympathies for the original home rule movement. I would have more sympathies for the Protestant republicanism of Charles Parnell, of Nepertandi, of Wolf Tone. I would have been with the author of Gulliver's Travels, Jonathan Swift. That is my version of republicanism. Christian, peaceful, progressive. I'm not blaming the Irish people for fighting back. The things that happened in the potato famine, which drove some of my family to New York, the things that happened with the black and tans, these were unspeakable. They were human rights violations, that is true. But what has happened now is a false comparison has been made between the experience of the Irish under the British and the experience of the Arab Muslims, so-called Palestinian Arabs, under the Jewish Israelis. A false comparison, as if the Palestinian Arabs are the indigenous people and they've been colonized by these Jews who came from Europe, much the same as the Irish in the plantation period, going back to the time of Cromwell, were colonized by English landlords. That is the comparison that's made. But is it a valid comparison? Is it? Well, let me explain the reasons that I am a Republican. Not a Sinn Féin Republican, but I believe in a Republic of Ireland. I believe in the goal of a reunited Ireland that is neither Catholic nor Protestant, simply Christian. Why am I Republican? Despite the fact that I disdain terror, IRA, the violence, the hatred, why am I Republican? It's not just ethnicity. And why am I Zionist? Is it because my wife is the daughter of Holocaust survivors and my children are born in Galilee? Is it just because of family? It's not just because of family that I am Republican. 
And it's not just because of family that I am Zionist. I am Republican and I am Zionist for the same reasons. The Celtic Irish are the indigenous people of that land. I do not object to people who call themselves British or of Scottish descent Celts living there. I have no problem with them living there. But do not tell me the indigenous people have no right to be there, except as an underclass. They're the indigenous people. It's their land, their birthright. It's much the same as what you see today. Going back to Catherine the Great in 1783, Crimea had been Ukrainian, not Russian. In 1783, Russia took it and began to colonize it heavily. So Ukrainians became a minority of their own land. Under the Soviet Union, terrible as it was, Nikita Khrushchev, who was half Ukrainian, gave it back to the Ukraine within the Soviet Socialist Republics. Russia gave it back to the original owners, the Ukrainians. Then Putin stole it back a second time. But the indigenous people of Crimea, the Ukrainians. The Irish are the indigenous people of all of Ireland. Now, I don't mind the fact that there's Russians living in the Ukraine. I don't mind the fact that there's Russians living in Donetsk or Russians living in Crimea. They want to live there peacefully. That's fine. But the land belongs to the Ukrainians. I do not object to people who identify themselves as British Protestants living in Northern Ireland or Southern Ireland. Let them live there peacefully. I'd accept them the same as I would accept any other Irish person. If they want to keep their British passports, let them. I have no objection. If they want to have community control of their own neighborhoods, I have no problem with that. But don't tell me the Irish, the indigenous people, or a colonizing presence. I've said this before many times. By definition, an indigenous people cannot be called an occupier. In Arizona, in the United States, I do not object to Caucasian Americans living in Arizona. I do not object to Black Americans living in Arizona. I do not object to Hispanic Americans living in Arizona. I do not object to Asian Americans living in Arizona. Let them live there peacefully, but don't tell me the Apaches have no right to be there. They were there first. They're the indigenous people. An Apache cannot occupy Arizona. An Irishman cannot occupy County Fermanagh. A Maori cannot occupy Rotorua, New Zealand. 
They're the indigenous people. And indigenous people cannot be considered an occupying power. Neither can a Jew be considered an occupier of the West Bank or of East Jerusalem. They are the indigenous people. Even if you don't believe the New Testament, even if you don't believe the Hebrew scriptures, even if you don't believe in religion, faith, if you don't believe what the New Testament says or what the Hebrew scriptures say, if you don't believe it, you have to believe the archaeology. The archaeology confirms the historicity of what the New Testament and the Old Testament say. Archaeology confirms it. But even if there was no, no New Testament or no Torah or Tanakh, if there was no such thing, the archaeology would still prove the Jews are the indigenous people. Now, if you believe the biblical record, Abraham was there from the time of the Canaanites. And there are no more Canaanites. They have archaeological things called tells, multiple strata of hills. And as you dig through the tells, strata upon strata, you keep coming back to the fact that the Hebrews were there first. The only one there, as long as them were the Canaanites and they no longer exist. The people we call Palestinians are simply the anglicization of Philistine. It comes from the Romans calling it Palestinian. And then it was anglicized. Except that the Philistines were from Crete. They were Indo-Grecian people. They were Europeans. They were not Arabs. The people they call Palestinians now is a made-up name assigned to mainly Muslim Arabs. But they're not the indigenous people. There's never been a Palestinian state. The Turks subjugated them, treated them like serfs, almost like slaves. And the Turks were Muslims who did it to them. The standard of living of Israeli Arabs is much higher under the Jews than it was under the Turks. Much higher. No. They are not the indigenous people. They are simply Arabs. They are not distinct ethnically from the Arabs of Jordan, from the Arabs of Syria, from the Arabs of any other country. The Arab Republic of Egypt. They're all the same. The people on the West Bank now being called Palestinians. In 1967, 1968, 1969, 1970, they were Jordanians. 70% of the Jordanians are Palestinian Arabs. The other 30% are Bedouins. That's why it's Hashemites from Saudi Arabia. 
King Hussein of Jordan, the father of King Abdullah, stated that Jordan is Palestine. Yasser Arafat stated Palestine is Jordan. They said it. Now remember, the revisionism. We've said this a number of times. From May 1948 until June of 1967, the Gaza Strip, the West Bank, East Jerusalem, the Golan Heights were all in the control of Arab Muslims. If they wanted a second Palestinian state, in addition to the one that they said they already had, known as Jordan. Why didn't they just create one when they had nearly 20 years to do it? Nobody would have stopped them. Under pressure from the Saudi Arabian-owned and operated Bush administration, the Israelis withdrew unilaterally from Gaza without a peace treaty. Hamas, backed by Iran, quickly took it over and began using it as a base for terror infiltration and to shoot Katusha rockets at Israel. There was no peace treaty like there was with Camp David or like there was with Jordan and Egypt. Just Bush doing the will of his Saudi owners forced Israel to just leave Gaza, and now it's just a base to fire Katusha rockets towards Ashkelon and the southern suburbs of Tel Aviv and Stroth. This is what happened. Israel offered to give Gaza back to Egypt in the Camp David Accords. Egypt didn't want it. Sadat said, we don't want it. Iran said, we'll have it. And Hezbollah got control of it. After a civil war between Hezbollah and the Palestinian Authority, they massacred each other. But of course, this doesn't figure into the UN resolutions. Nope. Twice, twice, the Palestinian Authority and the office was offered a Palestinian state on the West Bank. The Jews would only keep 3% of the land and give an equivalent amount of land from Israel proper back to them in place of it. All they wanted to do was rebuild the existing Jewish settlements that were there that had been destroyed in the pogroms of the 1920s. These Jews living in Hebron and Bethel and places like this, they're not settlers. One, they're the indigenous people, and two, they simply rebuilt towns that had already existed where Jews lived before they were burned down and driven out in the 1920s with the Islamic riots. They simply restored their communities. Yet they're being called settlers. Settlers. Lie upon lie upon lie.
Know that the indigenous people. Well, let me take this to the present day and what is happening in the Republic of Ireland. Please watch this clip of the dial, the Irish Parliament recently, and what certain Irish politicians have been saying from political parties, particularly Fine Fáil and above all Sinn Féin. Watch this clip, please. For anybody to seriously suggest now that what's happening in Israel and Palestine is not apartheid is shocking to me. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've seen the apartheid wall in Jerusalem. I was in Ramallah. I travelled to Hebron. I've seen what happened in Hebron where that city and community are devastated to protect hundreds of settlers, illegal settlers. It's a damning indictment in our country that in the 1980s we led the way confronting the South African apartheid regime yet today we can't even pass legislation that bans illegal settler goods. These settlements are illegal under international law yet we do commerce with those who are responsible for that repugnant situation. We can't even do that. We can't even pass that law in this country. We can't recognize the Palestinian state. History will judge those who sit on the fence. And history will shame those who bury their hand, heads in the sand while the Palestinian people continue to suffer at the hands of an oppressive, brutal, occupying apartheid state that is Israel. Minister, you must act. You cannot afford to sit on your hands and not act. You must call Israel out for the apartheid policies and the apartheid regime in which they uh, use against the Palestinian people. The Amnesty International report is clear. It's devastating in its clarity. It concludes that Israel perpetrates apartheid. It notes that Israel's civilian administration, its military authorities, its governmental and quasi-governmental institutions are involved in the enforcement of the system of apartheid against Palestinians. It is as frank and as clear as that. It goes on to say that the scale and seriousness of these violations documented in the report make it clear that the international community needs to urgently and drastically change its approach to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and recognize the full extent of the crimes that Israel perpetrates against the Palestinian people. Crimes that they commit, Minister, day and daily. Uh, the report makes for disturbing uh, reading. It outlines how Palestinians are dealt with as an inferior uh, racial group and how Israel oppresses and segregates them. It shows how Israel is putting in place a regime aiming to dominate and oppress uh, Palestinians. It does this through territorial fragmentation, segregation and control, uh, dispossession of land and property, and by the denial of economic and social rights. Uh, but also uh, through forcible transfers, administrative detention and torture, unlawful killings, uh, denial of basic human rights and freedoms, uh, and by uh, uh, persecution. Ireland has a long and proud tradition of support and solidarity 
with the people of Palestine. While many of the crimes of Israel's uh, apartheid have long been raised in the Dáil, the EU's central involvement in the arms trade to Israel has uh, seldom been raised. EU members uh, have profited well from Israeli apartheid over the years. Since 2012, EU member states have sold arms to Israel to the tune of nearly 700 million per year. Between 2014 and 2018, Germany and Italy alone supplied 35% of Israel's arms imports. EU states make large profits selling deadly arms to states like Israel, states that frequently abuse international law, suppress and murder peaceful protesters. Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil and Green TD stood up one after the other, saying it was intolerable. The tuggery and the warmongering and the brutality of Putin, you wouldn't stand for it. Urgent action had to be taken. But we've got to be much more careful with the Palestinians and their treatment. And I haven't even got time to the briefing I organised this week about the people of Yemen and how Saudi Arabia, the most despotic regime in the world, armed to the teeth by the United States, Britain, France and others. Killing 337,000 people in Yemen in the last five years. 10,000 children. Any action against the United States for arming them? Uh, or Britain? Or France? Or Saudi itself? No. No action. No sanctions. No outrage. Words of concern. We'll raise it. We'll raise it. We'll call on them. As Gorbel said, if you repeat a lie often enough, people will be stupid enough to believe it's the truth. Notice nothing is said about what Hamas did to Christians. I mean Christians with a small c. Catholic, Protestant, Eastern Orthodox, Evangelical, it doesn't matter to them. They're all Christians. What Hamas did to the Christians in Gaza. When a pope made a statement, Pope John Paul II made a statement that was disapproved of by the Palestinian Muslims, and that is another story. Palestinian simply meant anyone who lived geographically between the Jordan and the Mediterranean. The original name of the Israeli Philharmonic Orchestra was the Palestine Philharmonic Orchestra. The original name of the Jerusalem Post was the Palestinian Post. There were 30,000 Jewish soldiers who fought for the British under Montgomery in the Second World War were called the Palestinian Legion, and they were all Jews. Somehow the name Palestine was hijacked. And then people went to bed before the Tooth Fairy came in 1970. They went to bed in the West Bank as Jordanians and woke up and were told they were now Palestinians. The Tooth Fairy came and waved the wand and change their identity from Jordanians to Palestinians. An open lie, an open nonsense, but it's ignored. 
What happened to the Roman Catholic Church at Beth Shoah in East Bethlehem? What happened even in Israel proper when the Muslims began intimidating the Church of the Visitation in Nazareth, a Roman Catholic Church? Of course, the Israelis wouldn't let the church be attacked. I was in Ramat Rahel on the opposite side of the gulch from Bethlehem when Palestinian Muslim terrorists at gunpoint took over and ransacked the Church of the Nativity. And there was monks holding signs, please get us out of here, please get us out of here, when the church was being desecrated and ransacked by Muslims. The Muslim persecution of Christians means nothing. The same left-wing hypocrites who are always on about things like women's rights say nothing about what happens to women in the Muslim world. Forced marriages. 15, 14, 13-year-old girls forced to marry their 55-year-old uncle. This is widespread. It even happens in Britain. They say nothing. Women's rights, homosexual rights, human rights, they don't say anything. But when Israel stands up against the Islam, that perpetrates these human rights abuses and Christian rights abuses and women's rights abuses, they're up in arms. I know what happened to Christians in southern Lebanon. When the Maronite Roman Catholics, Maronite Roman Catholics were driven out of Lebanon by Hezbollah, where they lived for centuries. Who took them as refugees and gave them a new home? Gave them citizenship? Who absorbed these Roman Catholic refugees driven out of their homes by the Muslims in Lebanon? Israel. Israel took the Roman Catholic refugees. Every day of the week, you will see Muslim refugees from Sudan, not allowed to be in Egypt, coming through the Sinai and begging to get into Israel and climbing over the fence to get a job in a hotel in Eilat. There are tens of thousands of them. The Muslims didn't want the Muslim refugees. Who let them in? The Israelis. I know what happens to Christians in Muslim countries. Just as I know what happens to women in Muslim countries. And homosexuals. Even though I don't agree with homosexuality. As a Christian, I thank God that there's at least one country in the Middle East where the religious freedom of Christians is protected by law.
where what happened to the Christians in Aleppo, Syria, would never be allowed to happen, where what happened to the Christians in Iraq would never be allowed to happen, with what happened to the Christians in Iran would never happen. I thank God there's one country in the Middle East that protects the rights of Christians and the religious freedom, and that country is Israel. The Jews protect the Christians. Yes, when the Pope made the statement offensive to the Muslims, seven, seven Roman Catholic churches in Gaza were burned. Seven. The Roman Catholics were driven out of Lebanon. Who took them as refugees and gave them a home and a new life and access to education and hospitals and a job and a chance to open a business? The Jews did. The Jews did. And then you see this ridiculous clip. Patrick McLaughlin. How can anybody deny it's apartheid? I've seen the wall, he says. And I've been to Hebron. How can anybody deny it's apartheid? Well, I've spent a lot of time in South Africa. I don't only remember apartheid, I remember the American version of it, Jim Crow segregation in the American South. I remember white only. Blacks can't get an education. I've yet to see a Jew only sign in the West Bank or in East Jerusalem. I've yet to see a Jew only sign anywhere in Israel. Now, in Saudi Arabia, I've seen Muslim only. But in Israel, I've never seen Jew only. Under apartheid, a black person couldn't go to university. At least not to a properly credited one. 22% of the students in Israeli universities are Arab. Twenty percent of Israel's medical doctors are Arabs. The standard of living in the Gaza Strip, according to the World Health Organization, as I've said before, under the Israelis after 1967, increased by 370 percent. I mean infant mortality, longevity, employment. The standard of living increased by 370% under the Israelis compared to what it was under the Egyptians in the days of Nasser. The standard of living of West Bank Arabs increased by 320% according to the World, World Health Organization. And some filthy liar who doesn't even know what he's talking about calls it apartheid? 
I've seen apartheid. I know what apartheid was. There's no apartheid. Oh, I saw the wall. Yeah, I saw the wall too. I saw the wall in Belfast, the peace line, separating the falls from the shank hill. Most unfortunate that it was there, but it wasn't built by government. It was built by terror to stop the killing, to stop the activities of the Protestant paramilitaries and the provisional IRA to save human life, to save innocent life. That wall was built in Belfast. To stop Islamic terror, that wall was built, and most of it's not a wall, it's a fence. The only place it's a wall is where they were shooting bullets at school buses. Patrick McLaughlin is a lying hypocrite. Hebron, illegal settlements? A UN resolution has no basis in international law. International law is determined by treaty and by convention. Indigenous people rebuilding communities they had that were taken from them and desecrated, destroyed, is not an illegal settlement by international law. Prove to me by international law that it's illegal. It may go against UN resolution, but UN resolution does not constitute international law. Treaty and convention do. You are either a lying politician, a legal ignoramus, or both. How can anyone deny it's apartheid? I will deny it's apartheid because unlike you, I know what apartheid was. One Irishman to another. Yeah, I'm Irish American. So was De Valera. one Republican to another. Let me continue. Then there was John Brady saying it was an oppressive, brutal apartheid. Confronting radical Islamic terror. is not what is brutal, not what is oppressive. It is Islamic terror that's brutal. I lost a relative in the World Trade Center September 11th, an Irish guy. If Israel didn't exist, if there was no Israel, we would still have had, still have had, 3.3 million Christians 
murdered by Islamic militias in Sudan. We still would have 1.3 million Christians murdered in northern Nigeria since 1968 and the Biafra War. If Israel didn't exist, we would still have several hundred thousand dead Christians, Portuguese descent in East Timor. We would still have the terrorist attacks in Mumbai, India. We would still have had terrorist attacks in Brussels, in Germany, in London. How long do you think it's going to be before it comes to Dublin? They've already took over a cathedral. Because you let them in. If Israel didn't exist, you would still have real apartheid, real human rights violations, women's rights violations. They would still be hanging homosexuals. If Israel didn't exist, you'd still have those things in the Muslim world. The only thing Israel's guilty of is standing up to them. Mr. Brady. No, then we have Mary Lou McDonald calling it crimes. Self-defense is not a crime. When the British hung the Irish patriots in 1916 in the Easter uprising, they said they were hanging them because they were criminals. They were not criminals. And neither are the Israelis. But let us continue. There was Sean Hawkey saying he treats them, the Israelis treat the Muslims as inferiors? And the transfer of forcible of properties as inferiors. Yeah. You let people who are inferior become neurosurgeons and cardiovascular surgeons. You let them work in Jewish hospitals because they're inferior. Sir, you are a liar. You want to see people being demeaned. Go to a Muslim country, you'll find plenty. The standard of living of Israeli Arabs is higher than it is in most Arab countries. Then there was Chris Andrews complaining about the EU. He ignores the fact that Israel was established by the UN and these people tried to destroy a country legally established by the UN. 
The Bandler riots in Paris that went on for three weeks, burning automobiles. Who did that? The Jews? Who blew up the subway trains and buses in London? The Jews? No, it wasn't. One of these people did tell a half-truth. One deputy, one member of the dial, did tell a half-truth. He talked about the fact that 337,000 Arab Muslims were killed in Yemen, including 10,000 children, by an oppressive Islamic regime in Saudi Arabia, the Salafist House of Saud. He told the truth. 337,000. But what the Assad regime did in Syria is far worse. What the Turks do to the Kurds is far worse. What about the beheadings of the Coptic Christians in Egypt? That doesn't count. What about the civil war in Gaza and the civil war in Lebanon? Palestinian Arab against Palestinian Arab. They slaughtered thousands of each other. Do you know how many Arabs were murdered in Syria with Russian weapons? The Israelis never killed those kinds of people in those numbers. They fought wars in self-defense. They shot at terrorists. They arrested terrorists, radicals. They prevented terror. But they didn't genocidally slaughter hundreds of thousands of Arab Muslims. If you want to find somebody who slaughtered hundreds of thousands of Arab Muslims, you have to find them among other Arab Muslims. You're a hypocrite, Mr. Barrett. But at least you'll tell half-truth. Yes. You see, logically, rationally, nobody should be more pro-Zionist than an Irish Republican. The Jews of Britain supported the Home Rule Movement. The bulk of American Jewry supports the United Ireland. And the bulk of the American Irish population supports the existence of Israel. But we're talking about Ireland, Ireland. Fine Foyle, Fine Gael, Sinn Féin, Fine be somebody better to vote for. I know about corrupt Irish politics. I come from the city of Tammany Hall, of Frank Haig in New Jersey, of Joseph P. Kennedy in Boston, and of Richard Daly in Chicago. Corrupt political machines run by Irish politicians. I know all about it. We've had Irish presidents like JFK and Joe Biden. I know about Irish politicians in their American version, but I also know about Irish politicians in their Irish version. 
logically, nobody should be more supportive of Israel than an Irish Republican. They are both the victims of what some people have called perfidious Albion. After World War I, the British government broke its promises to the Irish. That's the song. Went down the glen one Easter morn, there was a city fair, Rhode I, marching lines of armored men and columns passed me by. No fife did hum, no battle drum. That's the song, isn't it? Down the glen one Easter morn to a city fair, Rhode I. Marching lines of armored men and columns passed me by. No fife did hum, no battle drum did sound their brave tattoo. Nor the Angelus bell or the liffy swell rang out in the foggy dew. Rightly proud of a Dublin town, we hung out the flag of war. Twas better to die neath the Irish skies then at Suvla or Suvgabar. Better to die neath the Irish skies than Suvla or Suvgabar. What with the Dardanelles, World War I, the Irish fought for the British and were given promises that were broken to them. The Jews fought for the British and the Palestinian Legion. They were given promises that were broken for them. The white paper issued by Bellflower, was revoked by the British government to appease Arab Muslims over oil interests. I know the rebel songs. I know the history. Perfidious Albion. It happened to the Jews. It happened to the Irish. It happened to the Republicans. It happened to the Zionists. Both are the indigenous people. Both struggled against the British Empire for their independence. Both were the victims of broken promises, assurances, guarantees, and dispersed of ripped up treaties. Both. In Ireland, it was the black and tans. It was the military Palestinian police in Israel. They hung the Fenians. They hung the Zionists. Now, by the way, I'm an Anglophile. I love Britain. I just don't always agree with the policies of the British government in the past. Being an American, obviously, I don't like colonialism. but I'm not against the British. I'm just stating what happened. Now let's look. Both the Irish and the Jews attempted to revive their ancient language. The Irish and the Jews, the Gaelic and the Hebrew. An Irishman, Kanesamartatu, Tagamora, Ismisha Shemesh, 
Kadasanam Dut. Shainish. The Jews, Shalom Mashlam Ha. Krupasida, Shmiyakov, Nimeod. They both tried to revive their ancient languages. To come back to their ancient land, they both had a law of return. You can come back to your ancient land if you were Irish. You can come back to your ancient land if you were a Jew. Both struggled against the British. Both were the victims of perfidious Albion, broken promises. Both faced a blackened hand or a paramilitary Palestinian police. The leaders of both were hung and shot. I am a Republican. I'm an Irish Republican for the same reason. I am a Zionist. And I am a Zionist for the same reason I am an Irish Republican. Yes, there is a family element on both sides. However, even if there wasn't, the Irish and the Jews, respectively, are the indigenous people of their own lands, and they have a right to be there, and their presence is not an illegal settlement. You remind me of the UVF and the UDA gangs in Belfast. When a Catholic moves into a Protestant neighborhood, they shoot him dead. You've expropriated Protestant property. The Jews didn't drive those Arabs out. They left at the behest of the United Arab Command. The Jews told them to stay. The Jews didn't invade the West Bank. They conquered it when it was used to attack them. But it's their land anyway, historically. Don't believe me. Don't believe the scriptures. Don't believe the Bible. Don't believe the New Testament. But you have to believe the archaeology. Yeah. That's the way it is. That's the way it is. It is illogical for an Irish Republican not to be pro-Zionist. And frankly, it is illogical for a Zionist not to be pro-Irish Republican, if you look at the facts. There is, however, an exception. There are one group of Irish so-called Republicans, though they disgrace the name, who I understand why they support what amounts to radical Islamic terror by Palestinian Arabs making them into the victims. I will tell you who it is and why. I was at a bus stop in Jerusalem several years ago. And a few minutes later, a bus blew up, killing 17 people right where I had been. 17 people. Innocent people, some of them Arabs. Some of them children. <laughs> How could you do that to innocent people? That's terror. 
It's criminal if you want to talk about crime. Mary Lou McDonald. Something like that. I'll tell you who would do something like that. Do you remember the Omar bombings? When among the victims was a four-year-old little Catholic girl? I know who would do something like that. Are you a member of Sinn Féin? I know who would do something like that. You would. Or should I say, you did. The provisional IRA did that. Sinn Féin is the party of the provisional IRA. No wonder they're sympathetic to Palestinian Islamic radicalism. They have the same mentality. They do the same things. They're murderers. They're six of one, half dozen of the other. They have a kindred spirit. It makes sense to me why Sinn Féin would support that. It's because they're the same thing. Both of them go to a left-wing political position, ideologically. Both of them misuse religion for propaganda purposes, be it Catholicism or be it Islam. I remember that bombing in Jerusalem, and I'll never forget it. And I will never forget what happened in Omar. No wonder you people love each other. You're two of a kind. This is twisted. This is horrible. As a son of Aaron, I'm ashamed to say that Ireland has become one of the most anti-Israel countries in the world and is probably the most anti-Israel country in Europe because it is buying into this lie that the Israelis are the equivalent of the British and the Palestinian Arabs are the equivalent of the Irish. No, the Jews are the equivalent of the Irish. It is Hezbollah, Hamas, and the Palestinian Authority that are the equivalent of John Bull. Don't think with your emotions. Think with your brain. But these are the realities. I'd like to read from the book of Zechariah. Chapter 12, verse 1. This is a prophecy in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, about the Messiah. And in verse 10, it says, God's going to pour out his spirit on the house of David in Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and supplication, and they'll look on me who they have pierced, the crucified Messiah. The Jews will recognize Jesus, Yeshua, as their Messiah and weep bitterly. 
But before that happens, they have to be back in their own land and in their own capital, Jerusalem, for this to take place. Jesus told Jerusalem, you won't see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Or for all of you Irish altar boys, benedictum quiveni and nomine dominum. The burden of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Thus declares the Lord who stretches out the heavens and lays the foundations of the earth and forms the spirit of man within him. I, I, God, is going to make Jerusalem a cup that causes reeling to all the peoples around. And when the siege is against Jerusalem, it'll be against Judah. And it will come about in that day, I'll make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples, and all who lift it will be severely injured. And all the nations of the earth will come against it. All the nations of the earth. The united nothing. The united nations. The UN. They are fulfilling that prophecy that Jesus in the Old Testament, before he was born, the pre-incarnate Christ, gave that prediction to the Hebrew prophet Zechariah. And it's exactly what is happening. I long for an Ireland that is Christian, back to the book of Kells, back to the tradition of Patrick, not Catholic, not Protestant, not the Battle of the Boyne, not William of Orange or James, just Jesus. No bigoted buffoons with bowler hats pounding on drums. And no provisional pseudo-IRA anymore. I long for an Ireland like that. I wish we had a united Christian Ireland. No orange, no green. Just Jesus. But yes, by definition, I'm a Republican, Irish Republican. And by definition, I am a Zionist. I am a Zionist for the same reason I'm an Irish Republican. And I'm an Irish Republican for the same reason I'm a Zionist. They're the indigenous people of that land. And nobody has a right to take it from them. Not the British crown. And not Sharia Islam. We've got family ties to both Ireland and Israel. That is true. I have strong convictions about these things. But my strongest conviction is what it says in the Word of God. 
all the nations will come against Israel. Don't quote the UN to me. Jesus Christ says the UN is his enemy. I lived right across the street from the joint, and I don't blame him. I can tell you why. What I would urge is this. I would urge my friends in Ireland, where my mother's family came from, Donegal, Cork, to think for yourself, to examine the facts, to look at the realities. Don't believe the politicians in the dial. You see, the Irish have always let other people think for them. Under De Valera, they let Maynooth think for them. They were told what to believe by Maynooth. If you're Irish, you know what I'm talking about. You don't think. Maynooth will tell you what to think. You don't let a pedophile clergy tell you what to think. Neither do you let politicians tell you what to think. Think for yourself. Look at the facts. Look at the facts historically. Look at the facts legally. But above all, my appeal to my Irish friends and family are to look at the facts Biblically. Gunari and Bohadat, Slan August Banet.